crucial okay. question, Sandy. Okay, all right. You go into like a takeout place or just an ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. They flip the iPad and they're asking you for a tip. Mm-hmm. Tip or no tip? Mm-hmm. <laughs> First of all, they're looking right at they're me. They're looking right. They're staring into your soul. Basically asking like, do you want okay, me to spit in your so food or not? Deal. If I just ordered ice cream or I just went to Panera, no, no tip. But if I ordered takeout... And I'm picking it up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because those people are still dependent on tips that's for their it. Yeah. So that's usually my like, unless they were like magnificent, <laughs> I typically See, feel like they're just doing their job. Is that horrible? You're a better human than me. I want, that's what I'm aspiring to currently, okay, okay. but I still feel so much guilt in that moment. They're staring me in the soul. You, and I'm also a little afraid. Like, yeah, they're going to like spit in my food if I don't give the oh. tip that I'm like, okay, I'll just give like a 10% tip. Okay. <laughs> but well, no, they didn't do anything. Not, except hand you the bag. It's just that the, the whatever food, iPad right. system yeah. they use is like trying to make them more money. <laughs> no, no, you don't get a it's tip. It's actually really genius. It is. But it's... Genius, right? but I was at the airport yesterday. Had to wait like five minutes to just get like one of those checkout things. Yeah. And so I didn't end up doing the tip. And I felt so uncomfortable. You not did. giving a tip. Yeah. Having to wait five minutes for her to scan for barcodes. Okay, that is funny. That probably really is, let's just say, an age thing right there. Like, I don't have guilt at all. Yeah. I feel a tiny bit like, mm, but then I'm like, ah. Yeah. That, like, wait, I said <laughs> yeah. nothing. I want to be like that I do, day. too. Oh, I so want to be that. Okay, well, shout out today is, um, well, I'm not going to say this person's name. They Here's the direct quote. They said, oh, my gosh, so much. It was like the realization moment was so much of what I do in my job is just in my head. Oh, yeah. And no one else yeah. knows. Yep. And so yet yeah, they're grow their their team is growing yep. and they're expecting all these people to like mm-hmm. be able to pitch in and do the work and own things. Mm-hmm. And the realization was like, it's all in my head. I haven't created process. I haven't done training. I haven't gotten it out of my head and into theirs. Mm-mm. And um this is so, 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 so common on teams that there's just no process. So or, or there, the thing is, is there is a process. Yeah, but, it's in that person's head. It, but even the process is in their head. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I'm not going to say their name. Let's love that. I love that. Shout uh-huh. out. Yep. Okay. My gripe today yeah. is I was at an Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Oh, Lord. Sunday. <laughs> I have so many of these. I was you trying. You have a lot of rental cars stories. You do. But like I have these from different types of businesses and interactions like Home Depot or the ice cream shop, whatever. Right. Okay. So I'm just picking one. It was hard to pick one. Okay. But because this was the most ridiculous to me, I walk into enterprise, I'd already rented a car. Okay. It was already reserved. I walk in, the employee looks at me, no greeting. They look, they look pissed. No greeting, no salutation, staring at me. Well, of course, now I jump in and already start doing their job for them. So I greet them and I introduce the process and I'm like, so where, what do you need? You know, yes. <laughs> my name, my license. And, and so the, then they act like annoyed with me that you suggested. something. Yeah. Yeah. Your license. I'm like, sorry for, you know, interrupting know, so your true. flow here and then proceed to, they don't have the car for me. You know, I've heard this before. And this is happening more and more. So I guess, you know, we they're trying reserve, to t- but it's that would be like us buying an airline ticket and like, oh, the, there's the, no flights today, man. There's no flights. Today. It's like, <laughs> like, I'm like, excuse me, you don't have the car because I, I need to get to a gig in a different right. city. Like I need the car right now. Yeah. And and then again, she looks at me like I'm the crazy one. <laughs> right. I'm like, no, what? 
And I'm so thrown off, but you know, it's like maybe because I'm a coach or a people pleaser. I'm like, I jump in and start doing her job for her and and I start apologizing. I'm like, yeah, sorry. I know. Like I, I reserve the car, but I'm like, sorry, why I are you apologizing? <laughs> and then, so the whole thing is like, I'm doing her job for yeah. her. She thinks I'm crazy that I would expect to get the car I rented and that I have to now wait an hour for one to show up. <laughs> and it's just like, what is the deal? I don't know. I feel like that that is where one area in customer service where the world it's gone. Blah, 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 it's gone, it's gone so down, bad. Down, it's down so hill. bad. <laughs> this is why I actually really appreciate. I tried to, you know, be a customer for like Chick Fil A and places where they really train their employees. Yep, I'm like, right. thank you. I know. I love thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Versus. Yeah, when I was getting fireworks for the 4th of July, yeah. it was just a pop-up stand. You know how they show yeah. up in a parking lot and sell? Yeah. It was just a pop-up stand, but it was like the best experience so I had had all year. The girl <laughs> met me. She like came out towards my car. She was like, hey, big smile. Welcome. Like, do you know what you want? Do you want some help? I was like, yeah, I'd love some help. And she proceeded to get a shopping cart for me, Yeah, hold it herself. And tell me about each of the fireworks and ask yeah. like, oh, if you have kids, you'd want these ones. Oh, this would be good. And she's trying to create the right mix of fireworks so that the show is complete. I'm like, See, right. At that a pop-up was stand. amazing. At a pop-up stand. Uh, <laughs> I love it. All right. Today we have a guest interview, Tracy Bomwell, and she is one of the awesome, awesome coaches and consultants here at Greenhouse. She also has a gig doing being a fractional um, chief people officer for uh, various companies. And Tracy, it's a really good conversation because she she's amazing as a coach and as a facilitator. And I think in this interview, you see why she's very kind of real. Uh, <laughs> she's pretty funny. She has a great just sense of humor and sarcasm. So that's typical around the greenhouse offices. But um but she shares how she kind of almost stumbled into this career. And I think like a lot of people wasn't planning in this direction, but has landed in a place that she really loves and yet still always kind of re-engineering and honing in what it is that she likes to do. So I'll, I'll uh, defer to her to share her story, but it's a really good one. Tracy Bomwell is on the show. Tracy, this is your first time on the podcast, right? That is correct. Okay. So Tracy is one of the coaches at Greenhouse and does a bunch of stuff. You currently are like, I'd say a leader, leadership development coach and also consultant, but you also have um, fractional head of people type roles. So you kind of have this portfolio of gigs um, and an interesting background too that we'll get into. But tell me, like, go all the way back. And if you can remember, what was your first job title? What was the first first thing you did? Yes, I appreciate that you gave me that. If you can remember, I would <laughs> say, so my first job was as a risk management administrator at Feld Entertainment. So they actually do Disney on Ice. That was my, okay. very, was my very first job, which was they had a benefits team separate from an HR team. So strictly a all benefits workers comp job uh-huh <laughs> it's, it's as fun as it sounds like the wait wait, wait but the title was like risk what risk, risk management something? management administrator so 50 percent of my job was a lot around liability and certification making sure whatever venues the the group was traveling to was uh-huh. certified and everything was in place from 
making sure if anyone got hurt. I dealt a lot with OSHA. Most things that people are like a tiny part of their job was a huge part of my job because there were injuries. Oh, yeah. You know, it was a lot of odd occurrences and it became a deep part of my job. So, yeah. It was under the HR umbrella? Yeah, I actually sat outside of HR. So it was benefits was just totally its own thing. Deep benefits and risk management was pretty much what I was doing. And then HR was over there. So I, I was sort of looking longingly at the HR people like, Ooh, that'd be nice to, to talk to people, not just when they get injured. Yeah. Really nice to talk to them also when they start. So that was, that was kind of my, my initial job of just seeing how the work world even worked. Yeah. So yeah, that's wild. Is he, so that was like first job out of college. Mm-hmm. And and what do you what do you study? Did you study towards HR? Not uh, technically, I could I could spin it. I was a history major, so history uh-huh. encompasses all things. And no, I uh, no I just straight up history. Just completely academic focused. Wanted to just kind of read a bunch, learn a bunch and Uh figure out what I wanted to do coming out of college. I would tell people on graduation day, I might apply to law school just so they'd leave me alone. But (laughs) I sort of fell into this role where a friend of mine was leaving the job and said, Hey, they just want someone who's a sponge and seems somewhat competent, just interview for it. And they were like, yeah, you're, you're young and you seem kind of nice go for it yeah and you've kind of been in the hr space ever since right in different capacities though yes wait so okay but you didn't give me the real answer so going back before first job out of college what was your actual first job did you do something like um growing up or internship or anything as a kid i i was an umpire a softball umpire that was my very first job and i was 13 and you were paid 13 i don't no, if that's Whoa. legitimate, but I was, <laughs> I was a, I was working as an umpire behind the plate. I was supposed to just be the like helper umpire. You know, uh-huh. they sometimes have a secondary one in the field. My dad was the commissioner of the league and he said, Hey, they're short on umpires. Could you jump in and help? I, I was after two games, they're like, you seem to know what you're doing. Let's just throw you <laughs> in on all the games by yourself. And woo, I have a complicated relationship with parents and how intense they are. <laughs> I was for it was I was getting screamed at. Uh, That's but, crazy. Yeah. So paid ump at thirteen. Yep. I'm. That's good to know, though. Now I'm going to go to baseball games with you because I, I don't I actually. Last time I went to one, I was watching the ump the whole time to try and like understand the signals and stuff because I. I mean, I played little league, but I don't really know baseball that well. <laughs> it's like, what is he doing? No, it's it's funny. You have to come up with your deeper voice so i was early on i have to figure out what my loud strong voice is to signal that i'm in charge and i know what i'm doing (laughs) and hopefully no one asks how old i am yeah (laughs) yeah so when you're studying history and all that Mm -hmm. did you have any thoughts about where you were headed with career and if not that's okay i know i i didn't like a lot of people had no idea where they were headed but i'm curious if you did so I initially, when I first went to school, I, I was thinking history and teaching high school. That was my, I want to be able to teach about history. I'm into it. And that older group of 
kids would align more with my sarcastic nature. Like, uh, I could probably be sarcastic with that group of people. And about, I would say, one, even one year into school, I sort of realized I loved the content. Mm -hmm. Didn't have a lot of passion around the teaching aspect in a school environment. So the good news was I learned that really quickly before I even went into the whole degree and track. But I was like, wait, I think I just love the content. And it's okay. I had to get comfortable with the fact that it's okay that I I don't have this whole storyline about the kids and making sure like I want to like, yeah, I so I sort of let go of that pretty quickly and said, all right, I'll just kind of figure it out um, mm-hmm. down the road. And but it was a good learning early on to say, I'm not just going to double down on something that wasn't wasn't really feeling like me. Yeah. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's you always seem to me like the kind of person who is taking um, the good from each, like taking lessons from each experience and kind of fig- honing in on the parts you like or don't like or want more of or less. Yes, I feel like that's that's been my I've always felt like, OK, I've fallen into maybe my first job. So the things I don't like, let me move away from. I mean, let me maybe it's for me, it was I wanted to be in an environment with that was a little bit more tech, cool, funky. So Uh where I was working was this huge, heavy company. And I said, okay, let me focus on going somewhere that's faster and lighter. Yeah. So I can use this HR job that I'm a little unsure of. It seems like I'm competent. So that makes me feel good. Check that box and let me move forward to maybe a company that's a better fit for me. So I kind of would like tweak with little shifts along the way. Yeah. Rather than hitting like the eject (laughs) button on all of it. And what did that path look like? What were the different stops along the way sure. to where you are now? So I went I went from risk management administrator then into HR, working as an HR generalist at at the time it was WashingtonPost.com when mm-hmm. we had online things and papers and they were yeah. separate companies because we didn't know if this whole online thing was gonna was gonna <laughs> make it. Uh-huh. So I went to work at WashingtonPost.com, loved it, very had a fantastic boss who sort of saw, Hey, this person seems to understand benefits, which a lot of people don't like, but she seems really engaged on getting away from benefits, which I was wanted to kind of learn the whole employee life cycle piece of it. And my journey from there went to kind of being the go-to person. And I, whatever the go-to person was, I loved that role. So that was where Mm. I identified so if someone had a question anywhere in the organization from the senior person all the way to the bottom, I really just love that I got to be the person to sync up with them. So that was my learning there. And then from I actually when they put the paper and online back together, <laughs> I I stayed on was kind of I had a retention specialist was my job. At, at that, <laughs> so I like wanted. how in all these roles, you're the specialist. You're like the <laughs> OSHA specialist. She's been doing it for like five days. But yeah, it's... um. They're, they're niche things that sometimes aren't even filled. No exactly. one's focusing on it. Exactly. They, I, I had become valuable by being that go-to person on such a range of topics that they mm-hmm. pretty much created a role for me with a, as you can hear, made up title so that I could, it was, how do I stretch my legs and sort of continuing to be that go-to person? And then I moved into but the see, H- yeah. Sorry to c- cut you yeah. off, but I think that's actually the interesting part that 
you know, we talk to so many generalists at Greenhouse and people think, well, what do I have to offer if I'm a generalist? And it's like, no, generalist is of is a value prop. 100%. It's, it's all about how it's presented though. And But that's interesting. You're one of the first people I've talked to that that was being recognized and kind of, the, yeah, that's that's what actually what we want you to be doing is nope. be that generalist specialist. And it it's a little bit, you know, it's squishier. It's a little more intangible when someone says, well, what are you good at? And the, the answer is anything you put in front of me, you know? Yeah. You, so you have to sort of own that blurry messaging of, I, I'll never forget, I had an interview. So after I went, after the post, I went to NPR, which was a wonderful gig as it sounds. I, mm-hmm. My, I have a feeling they were hoping for someone older or maybe more okay. seasoned was a little bit the, the, the language <laughs> used. So I applied for an HR business partner job with the digital media group, which is the music team, kind of all the, the funky, cool behind the scenes more again, sort of that digital idea of it being separate. So I was kind of the dot com vibe. So I came in. And I'll never forget, I was talking to the chief people officer and I could see, you know, in an interview when you see that moment when someone's just sort of checked out, like they've already yeah. made the decision that, yeah. oh, your face is a little bit younger than what I was hoping for. <laughs> it's when their tone starts going like, yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> like, <okay>. And <laughs> I ended up, it's probably the, the only interview where I just was like, I don't have anything to lose. So I, I ended up just saying, hey, can I just say something here? Can I just call this out? I have a feeling that you were hoping for someone with more experience than what I have. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, honestly, that's what's going through my head right now, which I appreciate. He was very upfront with me. And I was yeah. like, the, and I pretty much said, you can bet on me. Like, I, I love being underestimated. It's actually a, a huge motivator for me. Uh-huh. And I was like, I feel confident that if you take the bet on me, you're going to be very pleased with your decision. Like it was it was one of those moments where I just needed to assert what he was sort of like, please don't align uh-huh. to this assumption I'm making about you. And I was like, yeah, I get it, but we'll be good. Yeah, no, that was a strong moment. I love that. It's there's a, there's a lot of lessons from that. But you. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, that's it. Well, I was going to take your like deep, meaningful moment and totally sidetrack it. <laughs> no, I'm totally fine for that. It's also, I just think it's it's interesting how sometimes we allow that moment to pass where we have that mm. feeling like I should say something and instead we just l- let that moment pass. So I think that's a, was an important learning for me that it, it's okay to just say the thing. That was yeah. like a, a like a I've learned in my career that it's okay to just be a person and say the mm-hmm. thing that you're both thinking so that you can talk about it rather than having what's kind of dual tracked into a fake conversation yeah. between two individuals. Anyway, so that was a big learning for me that it pays off to just sort yeah. of call a timeout and and see what happens next. I mean, how did it pay off in the long run? Because obviously, like, it resulted in getting the job versus not, sounds yeah. like. Oh, 100%. I think I used the word, uh, the, the, my friends, I used the word, like, I'm a rock star, or I said something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And he literally. The level wrote, of confidence. He, like, wrote it down in the margin. 
but it woke him up. So yeah. to me, well, your question was, what was, say that again, what was the question? Well, yeah, what else was the payoff of that moment? Yeah. I would say that was, that was probably my second, maybe second or third interview in my life. So for mm-hmm. me, it was, how do I quickly be myself in an interview? Because you can win an interview by, you know what people want to hear. You know what the right canned answers are. But it was also letting them know, like, you can bet on me because this is who I authentically am. Like, here, I'll show you who I am every day in this interview. Yeah. So how do I showcase who I am in the interview as well? And I think that was a really important learning for me to see. I love. I ended up loving that team, loving that role. And I really think there was something about I was me from day one. Mm-hmm. And, and that yeah. just really, that was a really cool experience. Yeah. I don't, this might be too hard to answer, but where did that confidence come from? Because, you know, we, we work with so many people on that topic and it can be inspiring to hear what you just said, but it's like, gosh, how do I get to that place? That's fair. Because it's not, it doesn't mean that I'm not, I mean, in an interview, whew, I'm nervous. Yeah, sure. It's, I think that's where people are like, oh, if I'm nervous, that equates to not having confidence, where nervousness just means I'm outside my comfort zone. So mm-hmm. I find where am I confident in this moment? It's like a, I call it, it's like a temperature check. Yeah. I, I know my body is nervous. Uh huh. Where are my feet? And my feet are grounded in wanting this role. I do know what I'm talking about. And just just making sure I always stay, I always like to say, stay in my feet. Huh. <laughs> stay in I your like feet. That. Yeah. But there's there's something about this is another person that I'm talking to. What is it that they care about? Let me make sure that I'm able to showcase the thing that is actually me. So Yeah. And sometimes well, it's sometimes it's being honest. It's being confident to say, you know what? I might not be the right person for this role. So it's really the confidence yeah. is is living in the reality, I guess. Well, that's what I was going to say. Just just from the amount I know you, the honest, like, yeah, you are a very honest person, like up front. You, you said it, like, say the thing. Like, that is something you embody. And so it makes it more believable when there's a confident claim about like, oh, well, this is a thing I'm really good at. Yeah. It's like it, the two go together is, is what you made me think about. And I, I'm a very comfortable and I've never done X before. And I want you to know that too. So I mm-hmm. think there's, cause when you hear the fake it until you make it mentality that I think people bleed that into, I have to fake that I've done everything where yeah. it's more, where where is it the things that I know and where do I confidently not know things? And I'll tell you yeah. that as well, so that those two stories always come together. It, so did that lead to um, kind of this gig portfolio of, you know, coaching, consulting, yeah. fractional work? What what was the motive for that? I th- So I was thinking about that the other day, and I guess I'd been in the workforce about a decade at this point. And so I'd been doing what I, these kind of twists and shimmies up until mm-hmm. this point of whether my role was getting a little bit better and things I liked at places. And I, I think at some point I, 
I was as close as I was going to get. I was in the HR. I was growing. I was leading an HR team. I was at a company I liked. And I still felt that missing. I wasn't being pulled towards something. It was not yeah. no longer that I wanted a pat on the back because I was like, that's, I think, what got me that far was how how do I keep getting better? How do I keep getting better? And sort of you reach this plateau of, well, I know I can do this. Do I want to do this? Yeah. And that question came up for me actually when I saw a trainer come in to do a workshop. I had been struggling at the time with getting managers to attend internal trainings. Like 50% of people would just not show up. Uh-huh. And you know, I was like, well, people keep saying they want this thing, but they're not showing up. So we brought <laughs> yeah. in a heavy hitter and she was just so engaging, so fantastic. She came across so smart and in touch with both whether it was frameworks or how the business worked, I think really tying the business to the work. And I was blown away. Mm-hmm. I was like, someone can do this <laughs> and also be normal. I think yeah. I always like, you know, you kind of put people on this stage. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I'll never be a stage person. So therefore, I can't do it. When I saw this very approachable person come in and just crush it, I was like, that's what I want to do. It was just like so clear. Hmm. That's exactly what I want to do. And I ended up working with her for about two years. She came in as our consultant. So I got to be kind of organically mentored by her. Uh huh. Hear about her journey, talking through. So I kind of got a lot of feedback along the way. So I went off and got my coaching certification while I was still working and doing HR. So I kind of took those steps in that direction, kind of to have in my tool belt if I ever wanted to coach. Yeah. And it's just, it's really had that pull for me ever since. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You glossed right over it, but my. I, I've been like a Tiny Desk, NPR Tiny Desk fan forever. And I just think it's the coolest. It's like the best version of, of a show or a concert in my yes. mind. And talking about pedestals like that to me is totally on a pedestal. Then it may have been the first conversation we ever had. Yep. Somehow that came out that you were like, oh, yeah. And because I worked at NPR, I was like, you know, t- Tiny Desk. I was like, I love Tiny Desk. And you were like, yeah, I like sat at the tiny desk. Yes. My office was the, so most people did not have offices. And so there was the HR office for the digital media and music group was right. The first office right outside the, like the tiny desk was right outside my office. So I could leave my door open (laughs) And like have my own space and be working and listening. Like in the background, it's the tiny desk concert. Yeah, but, but then you, yeah, but your comment was like, yeah, I know. And then they'd be playing. I'm trying to get something done. So I'd have to go to a different room. Like, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> like screw the work, stay for the show. How, but how often did it happen? Like, how often was there a production going on? No, I would say usually two times a week. Oh, wow. Um, it would rotate though. You'd have two, then you'd have one, then yeah. you'd have three, then you'd have nothing. So it was like <laughs> based on how they could book it. But I feel like once every other week, it'd be someone like bigger. Yeah. It, what I always found, well, I love, I mean, I loved it. What was cool is you got to hear so many 
different styles and things that you've never been exposed to, which is yeah. it's still, by the way, Tiny Desk Concert is still like what I like will stream in the background because mm-hmm. it, it, it just has like uh, just such good feelings it brings up for me. Yeah. Well, in that same way, it's like another way to be exposed to a variety and maybe find new artists and stuff is mm-hmm. kind of those spots on like the Tonight Show and stuff. But the you can tell the art is so different for the artist because those are really high pressure, very short, you know, yep. one song. They feel like it's this big thing. Whereas Tiny Desk, you get exposed in a similar way, but they're comfortable and kind of in their own element. And I, I think at the heart of it, that's what I like about it so much. And it really, I think what's cool is you can't, I don't know, sometimes they might show like, so you can hear based on the clapping that there's a lot of people there, but the setup yeah. was always very neat because it it's that, it's literally Bob Boylan's desk and, you know, the people, just a couple people around producing and then it, the, you would get this schedule. They would email it out to the whole company. Like if you wanted uh-huh. to come up like 2.30 on Tuesday and you just would stand and it would be people like in the halls and kind of, there was no seat. It wasn't like, Oh, let's put seats down and make this a nice yeah. concert. It was very much like you just like clinging onto a wall listening, which kept it very sort of, you felt special being there and getting to like be a part of it. But it also gave, I, I think it was great that they opened it up for everyone to just come. Cause it would have been so yeah. easy to say like, this is a production. We don't want anyone there. Because at the end of the day, the musicians wanted to perform for people. So yeah, they were uh-huh. able to have that connection. Um, my my in-laws, like to this day, will tell people that. So Yo-Yo Ma came when I was there and he left. Okay. He left his cello in my office. Like they needed to put it somewhere that had a locked door. Gosh. Yeah. And they're like, could we put this here? And I'm like, yeah, knowing me, I'm lucky I didn't say something like, oh, excuse me, I actually have a meeting. I don't know. Like, if <laughs> That's I'm what I was picturing. You're like, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's more likely that I would have a ridiculous story of how I accidentally messed up the chance. But no, I he got to keep his cello in my office. So I did you I touch it? You're probably not allowed to say don't say it. I, um, I'm still a rule yeah. follower by nature. And... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool. No. It's fun to hear your story and how, how some of it worked. Cause you know, there's so many people with these nonlinear career paths that, totally. um, you know, think that they're alone in it or that they're weird. And, um, a lot of us have had that, but what, uh, is there anything you're, I don't know, excited about dreams, thoughts for, you know, future career and where you're headed? Yes. Yeah, so what has been, I would say what's been, I appreciate that you said something about how I, it always seems like I'm trying out something, testing, and I'm learning something because mm-hmm. I've kept that mindset going for, to me, I wanted so much. The goal has been leader develop, leadership development coach, doing my own thing. And now I've been doing that three years, pretty much just completely. And I have to remember, like, this is still an experiment. And so... Yeah. What have I learned in the last two years? So how do I want to continue to, I'm always, I think of fulfillment as a, a a journey that you're always on. So making sure that I'm sort of looking at those things and going, yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in the good spot. So for me, it's just sort of continuing to always trim out a little bit of the stuff that's not working and not have any sort of knee jerk reactions to a, a situation that either 
might not be exactly what I had hoped or exactly what I had envisioned. I think yeah. it's just keeping myself, you know, staying in my feet. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> is that something, do you like keep track of those thoughts or is it more just an ongoing, you're just kind of always, you know, thinking I, about it? My wonderful husband gets to be my person that I articulate. I feel like I do a debrief on him throughout. <laughs> I, I'm very seasonal focus so uh-huh. i would say as i'm coming out of summer i'm gonna reflect on the last mm. probably two seasons and i'll yeah. have a discussion with him that'll largely be around okay here's what i'm noticing here's what didn't work or you know yeah. he's gonna hear it so it almost it's like i'm sort of having conversation with myself but across the table from him yeah let's patch him in he's like yeah oh i have yeah. a list i have a whole notebook every <laughs> every season <laughs> that's no, really exactly. cool Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Also very glad that listeners get to meet you because um, you're going to come back on sometimes, I think, to, you know, dive into different topics. I know there's a lot of topics that you're passionate about and and knowledgeable in. So that is fun. All right. Thanks for having me, Steve. Nice to talk to you with headphones on. (laughs) Let's do that every time. (laughs) 